0: Modern.
1: Modern. Modern. Modern.
0: Modern. We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitter's acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 148 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this third installment of our Art of the Recipe series where we've been digging deep to learn about the history, craft, and artistry behind the recipes we follow to sustain our bodies and enjoy life. This time around we've got an interview episode for you and my goodness am I excited to share it. I reached out to a really talented Los Angeles-based artist named Ben Turner, who is the creator of Earth No Patio, one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Compared to a lot of podcasts out there, Earth No Patio is weird. In fact, the first time I tuned in, I almost deleted it immediately. You'll hear the full story about why I didn't in just a few minutes. But if I had to summarize Earth No Patio, I'd call it an eclectic mashup of technical food and drink recipes, world music, and soundscapes that has more to do with building a feeling in the listener than it does with telling a linear story or advancing an explicit idea. In the words of our talented audio engineer, Samantha Reed, Ben's show is meditative, inspirational, poetic, weird, experimental, mesmerizing... I feel, she says, simultaneously that I don't understand anything, but also like he's explaining something in a way I've intrinsically known my whole life, but never put into words before. I think Sammy is right on with this hot take, and I had a blast picking Ben's brain about how the line between recipes and art, becomes kind of blurry when you stop looking at them as sets of ingredients and instructions and instead consider the gravitational forces they exert on so many aspects of our lives. But in the spirit of the recipe, let's take a little pit stop here before the interview and give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Tallulah, a cocktail recently featured on Earth No Patio. It's a modern cocktail, definitely not a classic, but it's basically a mashup of a Jack and Coke and a Corn and Oil, or an Old Fashioned. Inspired by the Southern tradition of adding salted peanuts to Coca-Cola, the Tallulah cocktail, like sweet tea and shoe fly pie, somehow gets away with having way more sugar than most drinks with similar profiles, which is certainly part of its charm. To make it, you'll need two ounces of bourbon or Tennessee whiskey, one ounce of peanut orgeat, which we'll cover in a moment here, and two ounces of chilled Coca-Cola. That chilled part is not explicit, but I think it's important to the process. In a rocks glass filled with ice, add your whiskey and orgeat, then stir for about 20 seconds until the outside of the glass fogs with cold. Then you can add your two ounces of chilled Coke, Give it a final gentle stir for good measure, right? Because the glass is going to be fuller now, so you don't want to just slam it around like you were with just the whiskey and the orgeat. And then finally, garnish with crushed salted peanuts. Bam. To make that peanut orgeat, you're going to want to make a simple syrup on the stovetop, a roughly one-to-one ratio. Uh, If you want to go with more sugar than water, then what you're gonna be doing is increasing the bricks of the recipe So it's gonna last longer on the shelf, but that's up to you. You might have to tweak the formulation if you add more sugar Especially since we've got that corn syrupy coca-cola involved So anyway, you're gonna make your simple syrup then add one to two cups of roasted unsalted peanuts and one teaspoon of orange blossom water which is a hydrosol. It's pretty easy to pick up. It's actually a very common ingredient to find in uh, Middle Eastern or international markets because it's a very frequently used in confections like baklava. So you're going to add your one to two cups of roasted unsalted peanuts and your orange blossom water. Bring that simple syrup up to just below a boil and then cut the heat and let it sit for several hours before straining and refrigerating it. It'll last about as long as any other simple syrup in the fridge. And the peanut orgeat, that combination between the kind of earthy, nutty peanuts and the really mellow but beautiful orange blossom water, you know, it adds a lot of body and sophistication to the Tallulah cocktail, which otherwise is just a whiskey and Coke. Later on, we'll hear Ben's reading of this recipe, so you can compare his version with my chaotic one. Turning our attention back to the interview, some of the topics I discussed with Ben Turner, creator of Earth No Patio, include how Ben's experiences in the art and culinary world led him to this structured yet highly associative experiment of pairing recipes with soundscapes. Why some of the best or most efficient recipes can seem almost boring or banal, but tend to be extremely thoughtful in their structure and sequence. The intuitive process by which Ben selects the recipes he features on Earth No Patio, from bland, unassuming Italian eggplant recipes to Ayurvedic dishes that comment on bile color and bodily excrement. Why Ben views cocktail recipes as punctuation in his podcast, as well as a few thoughts on the wild and funky barscapes he's been playing with in recent episodes what to drink while chatting with avant-garde composer and artist John Cage, and much, much more. One thing that Ben doesn't know is that I've been thinking about reaching out to him for months before this interview happened. His podcast is a real source of both joy and mental space in my life, and I think it perfectly embodies something the philosopher Kant said about a condition that is necessary for art, which is free play of the imagination. To be clear... Earth No Patio ain't for everybody. If you're a hard-nosed news junkie who hates how long my intros are and who recreationally engages in activities like Twitter duels and screaming at people in traffic, then it might not be for you. But if, like me, you enjoy giving your brain a chance to air out and get lost in a lovingly curated alternate reality for a while, then I think you owe it to yourself to give this podcast a try. Every time I tune in, I feel like I'm stepping onto the holodeck on the Starship Enterprise and selecting a random mashup of programs. And I love it. We've got clips from Earth No Patio scattered throughout this episode, so you can get a little sample of Ben's work. And we've also got a fun announcement about halfway through that you should keep your ears peeled for. But for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this third installment of our Art of the Recipe series, featuring the extremely talented Ben Turner, creator of Earth No Patio. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So for our listeners, can you introduce yourself and explain, basically just in a nutshell, who you are and what you do? Good question.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm an artist, and as it pertains to this Uh, particular thing my podcast is earth no patio Um, it's an experimental food oriented um, soundscape type of thing dealing with the recipes and flavors my history is as it pertains to food is I went to college uh, art school at uh, MICA and the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore and I cooked a lot of dinners uh, throughout college and then That moved to, like, a project, uh, it was like a dinner series I did with a couple friends. We cooked for, like, farm-to-table type food for, I guess, like, three years, and at that point, we were just dealing with food and, uh, like, learning how to cook and do it proper. I thought, okay, well, I want to take it to the next level, so I moved to San Francisco and tried cooking at a fancy restaurant, which I hated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I loved uh, cooking, but uh, the pace and the kind of atmosphere around it was much more intense than it's exactly what everybody tells you it is, which was fine. I At that time, I loved it, but uh couldn't do it. And then I moved to L.A., and I started a project that was similarly, like, food-oriented, and it was a much more experimental dinner series, and uh, at that point... I was just cooking much more experimentally and like with more leaps of faith and uh, like linguistics and less in flavor. And (laughs) yeah, so it kind of those that my history of like working with food led me to make this podcast, which is Mm -hmm. uh, food based and I guess quite poetic in some regards.
0: Yeah, um, let me let me tell the story about how I came across your podcast, because I think In at least a manner of speaking, it was very serendipitous. I was just browsing Reddit because obviously I run a podcast, I follow some of the podcasting subreddits, and um, occasionally, you know, someone will just ask for podcasting recommendations and I'll just kind of cruise that thread to see if anything there resonates with me. If, um, you know, a lot of people are into things like true crime podcasts or, uh, you know, like Joe Rogan or some of the bigger like NPR and, um, Gimlet podcasts. And that's, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I guess more interested in people who pick a, pick a lane and just go real deep into that because that's where I find a lot of gratification in, in learning about things kind of as I go about my day with podcasts, just kind of casually piping through my ears. And so I, I, Somebody recommended your podcast on this thread. And so I downloaded the first couple of episodes and I hopped into my car to go to the UPS store and drop off some e-commerce orders from our our e-commerce store. And I got it was raining. There was a lot of traffic. It's not a fun part of D.C. to drive through. I was looking for a parking spot. So I just didn't have time to pause your podcast because it was a little weird. It was (laughs) Maybe somewhere between silly, whimsical and like, on the other hand, very serious about the content, because there were these these recipes that were being read very tenderly. And then there was sort of. Uh, world music scapes going on in the background so you'd be reading an Indian recipe and then there would be some kind of like reggaeton music in the background perhaps or you know that sounds like something that could occur on Earth No Patio um, or there would be some ambient recordings of maybe like a Chinese takeout place uh, in the background. I often lie I often lie awake at night worrying about whether I was born to rest.
1: Bali da pé, sempre lotado. Todo sabadão eu tenho que partir. E os amigos, profissão perigo. De lo que nasce no e vem assim.
0: Eu vou pro baralho
1: da GO. Ah,
0: na intenção de fudeu. Te vejo no baralho e já chego, sarando. Do jeito que você gosta. Eu te deixo excitado tá tirar do de tu and it's just uh it it was very free-flowing and it was very uncomfortable to me because a lot of the podcasts that I listen to have a very distinct structure so as somebody with an art background when I heard this I was like oh my god this like spoken word nonsense like (laughs) what is this how can anybody like this and then after I got about through the first 10 minutes of your first episode, because I couldn't take my eyes off the road it got really interesting. And I was just like, no, maybe I'll give it another five minutes. This is starting to get kind of good here. So uh, <laughs> that being my first experience, what's your response to that? And I guess uh, to go a little bit more into the structure of your podcast for our listeners, can, can you just talk a little bit about my impressions and, and maybe uh, your more specific take on, on what you do and how it's structured? I'm glad
1: you had that drive that consumed you so you couldn't change it obviously um and that's not at all unintentional I tried working in cooking but I'm mostly a sculptor so after I didn't like kitchens I went back to like fabricating sculptures for artists and um working for myself a lot and then also listening to podcasts and part of my annoyance was um just podcasts that treat you like, uh, you're, you're like an adult baby. And, um, <laughs> I I think it has its time and place. I need that for certain topics and I don't need it for other topics. And this nonlinear audio experience was kind of a response to, you know, consuming a lot of audio media and in the podcast is nonlinear. It's, um, fantastical and at times very, um, self-serious, uh, And that's not disingenuous. It's kind of a combination of like being very self-serious and then also, um, completely ridiculous, like completely absurdist, like throwing it all away. Um, so there's, there's waves and I think you, you know, it's not all intentional. It's very much like a element of chance and like the organization of it is, uh, structured in that regard but yeah i mean i think you know what you what you described is probably quite true it's like i don't really know what i'm getting into so uh, i think part of that is what i want to impart to the listeners not knowing what they're getting into and then being taken on this uh sort of strange audio experience and you can also forget it i mean you can put it on and forget that you're listening to it <laughs> Yes, yes.
0: Dude, so okay, so this drive to the UPS store. And this is per this is this is perfect that we're getting into this and I love I want to return to some of the descriptors that you used because I love the whole like self-serious thing but then throw it all away. Um I think that that also might have pushed a very specific button in me. We'll get, that, get back to that in a second. So this walk to the UPS store, it's very serendipitous, because when it's nice out, I'll just walk, and it'll take about the same amount of time it takes to drive, except you know, I drive when it's raining, and that's inconvenient. So once I discovered your podcast, it was one of those things where okay, I had a small backlog to get through because you only have roughly ten episodes, correct? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's only eight right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very
0: skin skinny. And so, like, I would, so I downloaded these episodes, and then I found myself rationing them. I was like, mm, like I have <laughs> to pair this with the right thing. And That's very flattering. <laughs> Well, because it wasn't it's not just like a big three hour long Joe Rogan interview, which, which yeah. is just like, all right, if I'll just put this on as like almost like background noise, just so I don't feel like I'm in a, the condo by myself or something yeah. like that. But for you, I'm like, all right, I've got an earth, no patio. Uh, I got to <laughs> walk tomorrow. Probably I'm going to. Oh, what's the weather looking like? Oh, it's going to be sunny. Oh, that's what I'm listening to on my walk. Wow, and that's great. And it's like. I just allow myself to just get a little bit lost in it, and um so yeah, this the relationship between you me, and the u p s store is very, very <laughs> a very strange one just because the 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 walk and the drive time out just perfectly for one of your episodes oh, that's great, yeah, that's good to hear I mean
1: i I came to this a lot when I was or inspiration for a lot of this like linguistics and the timing was I was re uh, you know cooking in this kitchen and um San Francisco. Um, Actually, you probably know Bar Agricole. This was... um, Thad Vogler? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it was the chef, uh, Brandon Jew, was in like 2012 or something. But they have a lot and a little. I mean, just because that was my main experience with like uh, the professional culinary scene. Um, Very sweet chef, um, ran a serious kitchen. But I was walking everywhere i lived in berkeley and so i would commute and i would walk and then i would listen to um john cage's diaries and i think there's like six of them and they're at an hour-ish and um and similar to what you're describing walking and listening to those was um quite a treat and strange it changed me very you know from one moment to the next you didn't know how you were going to feel and like you started you know mingling it with the real world so um, that was a big part of it. And then also cooking in the kitchen and being frustrated with how it ran. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was run well, but you know, just the intensity that people expect from professional chefs and the kind of menus that I would see in, in, uh, San Francisco, everybody kind of, you know, clamoring to get that one fresh ingredient. And then every menu having that ingredient. And, and a lot of times you just think like, well, this is so overcomplicated and um but you know beautiful at the same time the incredible food scene
0: (laughs) yeah i mean san francisco is amazing we had a recent interview with uh, my friend virginia miller who um uh, we, we talked a lot about San Francisco, uh, bar and restaurant scene there. So for anybody, um, who is listening to this and wants to go back and revisit that, uh, check out our episode. It's called, uh, this Carmen San Diego of, uh, food and drink, I think is what I, I titled it. Uh, and that was probably, uh, sometime around February this year that that dropped. So, um, but getting back to some of those words that you use, like this self-serious tone and the, um, the fact that you can just kind of at, at certain moments, almost like it, it it gets really serious, but then it just kind of self-destructs or you can kind of throw throw it all away. It gets so absurd that it's like, OK, well, what was all this seriousness for to begin with? Um, a couple things I think resonate with me about that format. Uh, one is that my background is in poetry. And um, I think when I look at a poem sometimes I look for very similar things as what you're describing in that podcast. Uh, I enjoy poets, uh, at least the the modern poets. I, I really enjoy Robert Frost and Wallace Stevens as modern poets. And both of those writers were very, very good at seeming very serious, but then having this little trickster element of the poem that just kind of turns back on itself Mm -hmm, and you know are you familiar with like the shape of the Uroburos, the the snake that's in a circle eating its tail yeah you know it kind of symbolizes the beginning and ending of creation all at once but it's also something that is consuming itself you know Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. in in, in its um there's also this beautiful quote from john Ashbery's uh self-portrait in a convex mirror um that is something to the effect of he's describing a, a, a wave breaking on a rock and creating the correct line here is like a, a, a wave right, breaking right, on a rock you know, giving up its, its shape right, in a gesture which expresses, expresses that shape itself. you know so there's there's so uh, i think the recipe is the one of the most ingenious places to kind of play with this sort of Reversal of expectations and this vacillation between intense comfort, mm-hmm. but then also the pushing of boundaries because food does that for us. We have comfort food and then we have food. That is either experimental in form or flavor, uh, or perhaps in presentation. Right there's the the, the famous El Bully, uh, you know, kind of like sugar balloon um, mm-hmm. by Ferran Adria. Um, so that we we live in this world, and I think it's it's awesome that you have been able to take the form of the recipe, which has a very set form, and then use it to kind of just kind of. I guess make people think differently about it. Um, so what, I, I guess my, my big question to like get us into the, the recipe side of things and the food mm-hmm. side of things, uh, and then maybe get into like drink eventually this being yeah. a cocktail <laughs> podcast is what do you think makes a good recipe? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I,
1: I think in the podcast I use recipes, um, more texturally so they're less uh, about their content or their if you know efficiency in the kitchen or something um but i read a lot of recipes um practically when i'm making dinners or um kind of restaurants or projects or something so uh, i think two sides Uh, uh i think there's a practical element i think the best recipes are incredibly um organized and banal almost not as poetic i think i gravitate towards really simple but straightforward recipes um and i i think in a very technical way i really love when a recipe groups its ingredients uh, when you're mixing them (laughs) with like the process next to it um that's a very boring part of the recipe, but I think there's some terrible ones out there that don't do that. And then, I I mean, as far as cookbooks go, that's like a different that's like a different thing altogether because that's where people can express like grand ideas and like uh, concepts around food. So you know, the gathering of the recipes I also enjoy. And you know, the podcast started out as you know the idea was to just read these recipes only, and then read them. Um, slowly and and with strong sentiment and kind of let that play out. But it's evolved to include like food writing and um, different types of I mean, not just food, but there's a lot of stuff now. But um, I think getting to read the the more like romantic parts of cookbooks uh, has,
0: you know, been a great part of the podcast changing over time. One of the things I've noticed about the recipes that you do read, right? You say you, you read them kind of like with feeling. I've noticed that there's something either atypical or special about a lot of the recipes that I hear on your podcast. So for example, like a, a really weird recipe about like salted fermented eggs or something. Yeah, It is yeah. just like inherently mm-hmm. weird by its process because it's just something so foreign. Salt
1: preserved eggs with star anise, Yan piden. Time, five weeks, makes six eggs, four star anise, six eggs, three quarters cup kosher salt, three cups cool water. Choose a three-quart or large clear glass or plastic container with a lid. Place it on a stable surface in a cool, dark place. Put the star anise in the container, then carefully place the whole eggs inside, being careful not to crack. It's something like a bar. In a pitcher, combine the salt and water and stir. Gently pour the brine over the eggs to cover them completely.
0: If the eggs dry. Or then there's like, in the first couple episodes, there's Ayurvedic... Indian recipes mm. and and they also mm-hmm. offer commentary on like the nourishment or kind of health aspects of what that recipe might be good for. Every recipe seems a little bit special. Um, do you have like any selection criteria for the recipes that make the cut in your episodes? Uh, n- yeah, I, I mean, they have to elicit
1: some type of intensity uh, and feeling or like in, intention. So, That's actually not true. (laughs) No, there's no (laughs) criteria. I was just thinking like the uh, there was like an egg Italian eggplant recipe that was just so banal. Um, uh, I just think sometimes it's nice to have an eggplant in the podcast and it's really not um, curated as heavily as some of the food writing is. Um, Sometimes I'll choose recipes based on chance uh, just opening cookbooks or sometimes it's just truly what I'm cooking. So if I'm reading a lot of Ayurvedic cookbooks, I'll grab some of those. Those recipes were really cool because they had, um, the, the way they describe the body and the kind of knots, things that you really don't want to think about when you're cooking, they'll describe like, um, the color of your urine or your feces or like the bile, uh, that you produce and and that i mean it's also a big part of our process but those recipes were kind of interesting also because the cookbook was that i was reading from is a used in a hospital to actually treat people so it was like a, a medicinal cookbook as well as well i guess every cookbook is in some regard but that cookbook was made to heal the body which is a very different function than a lot of cookbooks that I use. Radish is pungent and heating with a pungent Vipaka. It is digestive and relieves gas. Medicinal uses a good food for constipation, hemorrhoids and heart conditions. Radish has a diuretic action and is useful for kidney stones.
0: It's, it's fascinating how like reading if you if you read through enough recipes, I guess, you know, you can start to to trace some through lines about, you know, especially if you have some context about where the recipes come from, who wrote them, you know, how they were meant to be used in the collection that was published, perhaps like you can really learn a lot. Um, I realized that I probably should have asked this question right from the get-go but but why the name earth no patio for the podcast oh yeah good question (laughs) um
1: i it was pulled um from an old notebook of writing that i was i had around um i think as a name it it has the same uh, non-specific qualities that i would want from my podcast so it, it it maybe evokes an image or an idea, but it doesn't really land itself. And I think that kind of spinning that you were maybe talking about Mm -hmm. earlier is Mm -hmm. uh, similarly something I want to have in the podcast. So um, it it evokes a lot of images for me, but I think mostly it, it sometimes I think of it as just sounds like earth, no patio, just, there's like a nice rhythm to it. And sometimes I literally think of an earth without a patio and some, you know, sometimes I just think of the earth. And I I mean, it has it kind of turns over and it doesn't land, which I think is important to the podcast. But the, you know, the words don't necessarily have direct like connotations that mm. I was trying to pull up. But I guess talking about the earth is a pretty broad, nice way, place to start.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and, and recipes are, you know, kind of universal. <clears throat> every culture that has writing and every culture that has food has recipes, you know. So there there is certainly a universal aspect to the podcast. And, um, you know, since we're we're still kind of thinking about this subject of turning over on itself or, you know, going somewhere but like not quote unquote landing, uh, like, like you just said, you know, I, I kind of think of whether it's a, a group of ideas or um, a group of words or a format like the one we're talking about. I think of it almost like an electromagnet in a, in a motor or an engine. Um, you know, the 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 electromagnet kind of is is what the, the polarity keeps flipping over on itself. And that's kind of what produces mm. the motion, right? Mm. That's what, that's what mm. actually propels <laughs> the vehicle. Um, so when I think of groups of ideas like that, like right now, one of the things that I'm really interested in is embodiment, uh, the mm. idea of whether you're talking about embodied psychology or just embodiment in general, right? The idea that, um, your brain and your body might not be quite as separate as we've been making them out to be in the mm-hmm. mainstream for such a long time. Like that is a set of ideas that any, time I make a little bit of progress on one of them, then I'm like, Oh, but wait, now I get to use that little piece of progress and now flip everything else on its head. And it, it's, <laughs> it, it's like this, it, it, it's, it's action, it's verb. And to me, um, you know, one of the cool things about your podcast is that it's so very situated in concrete recipes, right? You're actually dealing with these ingredients. Take three large stone crabs, right? Mm-hmm. Crab- take off the claws. Right? A stone crab with claws is like a very tangible thing, and yet the effect that's produced is very much like a a verbi effect. Is is all I can all I can describe it to uh, our listeners as.
1: Then bananas and cream with white sugar. Bananas should be cut, never mashed, and the cream should be thin. Then hard water biscuits with New Zealand butter and Wensley's Dale cheese.
0: So, so yeah, I, 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 I was very, almost tentative coming into this interview of like trying to describe what you do because it is not just a podcast; it, it very much is. Art that is available to the public in podcast form, and I think I'm just doing a horrible, weird, esoteric job of it right now. But I, I really want to convey how truly unique your podcast is. Yeah, it's a very di- t- untangible thing to be dis- discussing. But
1: I, I mean, I you're do I'm flattered that you've brought me onto your podcast and uh, asked me to talk about it because it's a very um, you know, it's a very strange and weird project to have landed on. And I mean, I love it, but it, I understand it's niche quality, so I'm happy to talk <laughs> about it. Yeah, I don't even know where, like, uh, it's and I'm not bummed about this, but it has very low listenership, uh, which is fine. I I imagined it would just kind of select people would who would be exposed to it would then choose. You know, I hate this. I I will never listen to it and or I love it or whatever, but I feel like it would just kind of grow its own audience quite slowly. Oh, even after I'm done recording them, I imagined
0: if it's, if people will like it, they will find it somehow. But yeah, now I, I, before we move on, I do want to kind of maybe tease, tease a thing, tease a thing. Um, you and I did some emailing back and forth before this interview and we were able to maybe, uh, uh, Get the very early beginnings of an of a episode together where I was actually able to create some, some content for you, a little bit of recipe content, and I mm-hmm. flipped that over to you. So uh, if all goes well, we may even be able to um, cross-publish a cool episode um, with me as a maybe – one or two little cameos in there uh, on our channel so that uh, folks who are, are listening to this can actually um, see a little little bit of a cooperative episode that, that we were able to put together here in a, in a time of quarantine. I thought that was, uh, it was so fun for me to think about um, recipes that I could read and, um, you know, think about specifically how cocktail recipes might be a little different than the the actual food recipes that you normally publish. So I had a lot of fun doing it. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that you were willing to kind of play with, me like
1: that oh yeah me too no i'm excited it was really nice that you had a charles a charles simic poem like towards the end of your readings not spoiler mm. alert uh <laughs> <laughs> if they can find that poem in the future podcast but yeah i'm excited i think it's going to be a really uh n- nice addition
0: different sort of uh textural input yeah it's going to be great so i I, I want to talk a little bit maybe about the difference between food recipes and cocktail recipes because it's something that I've been thinking about and it actually kind of um it kind of ties back to this um the whether you're talking about the poetry or the the language art of it because i have this I have this theory about the difference between um culinary art for example and uh cocktail art. When I think of culinary art, uh, I think of almost like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you've got, um, you know, the essentials at the very bottom. And then as you move up this pyramid of different needs, you get uh, more and more esoteric, right? So in the bottom is like literally shelter, oxygen, you know, food. And then the next up is like, you know, clothing, security, family. The next one is like belonging. And as you go up, it gets more and more abstract, I kind of think is food and cocktails in that way. And I, I read this book called I think it's called Culinary Artistry. And they actually had like a little pyramid about that, specifically talking about, you know, food from like diner fair all the way up to, you know, like we mentioned uh earlier, like El Bully, like these restaurants where you will pay an entire year's salary just to get in the door and have this one couple hour experience Um, and to me cocktails very much sit at the very top of any sort of hierarchy of needs they're kind of they're not connected to the base of things they're not connected to the color of your feces Mm -hmm. perhaps in the same way as like a nourishing uh, like a nourishing meal would be and so in that respect to me whenever i look at a cocktail recipe in comparison to a food recipe i look at something that is almost like a piece of artwork in and of itself because it's, you know, art, art has to be for its own sake. You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind Mm -hmm. of like what, what all the great philosophers have said is art is for its own sake. It's not there to have a specific function for the daily life. So I wonder if that, um, if that resonates with you or if you have a different experience with the difference between food and drink recipes. I, I think with cocktails, uh, the one, I mean,
1: there's, A lot of food recipes the author typically says you know this is a outline learn it and then explore your own way or process and with cocktails it's the actually the opposite it it only is a cocktail recipe because from from my perspective if it's very specific the moment you change your bitters or you add a different garnish you've owned that is the nuance that is the cocktail recipe and you know if i go like 3 to 1 versus 2 to 1 that is a totally different drink if i change the ice the shaker whatever so in an, in a way it's not fluid and and that's cool i i respect that um but yeah i think that's the difference to me not to say you can't use the same sort of culinary approach it's just when you come to that like prescription of a recipe They serve very different functions and um, you can take that, you know, cocktail recipe and then change it all you want. That's obviously probably what everyone's doing anyways. But um, yeah, I I was just reading a cocktail book about how, you know, any change is a different drink. So, you know, these recipes, the book was like, these recipes are sacred. Like (laughs) you change them. They're not mine. Don't use my name on them. (laughs) Like, don't do anything. What, like, cool. uh, what book is that, just out of curiosity? Uh, I think it's Jigger, Beaker, and Flask, around the world with Jigger, Beaker. Do you know this book from the uh, 50s?
0: No, oh, no. it's oh. A, So it's a
1: vintage one. No, yeah, it's a vintage book. This is a strange... I'll do a quick quick backstory, but I don't have much experience working with cocktails, um, or I never had like the drive to do that, but I was... Um, living in germany for a short period and uh i got a job as a dishwasher at a cocktail bar and um it was a very strange and beautiful cocktail bar but the owner it was like very militaristic and like um i never got to touch a cocktail um it, it was the bar is called the red bar it's in frankfurt it's amazing the owner's really specific about everything and he taught me a lot about how to cultivate your the experience i mean every there was three rolls of toilet paper in the bathroom at all times no more no less there was a specific sound of a specific beach playing in the men's room there's a specific sound of some other soundscape playing in the women's room always had the same hand soap um there's uh like a some sort of Berry hand soap in the men's bathroom, strawberry hand soap in the women's. And then also the cocktails were just incredibly specific and measured with militant precision. Um, And the glasses were like, you know, some of them only had vintage glass, so we only could serve three of them at a time. And um, I wore like slacks and an apron, but long story to say uh, he became friends and he collects like vintage cocktail books and he sends them to me. Uh, he buys them on eBay in the States and then sends them to me, and I amass a pile of them, and then he comes and gets the pile. So, That's so amazing. I, so I get to like peruse these cocktail books, which I never would. I think I have a signed edition of the. Um, oh, what's the big cocktail guy that I should know this? <laughs> I'm uh, clearly. Dave. Is it Dave Wondrich? No, it's. Oh, what's the. I, uh, I won't remember. I'm, da- I'm not. Dale DeGroff, maybe? It's like from the 50s. Um, Uh, We'll
0: we'll put it in the show notes page for folks. Yeah,
1: yeah, but yeah, I think the the function of a cocktail is so different. It's it's an interesting process too to like play with the flavors and change them.
0: It's uh, much different than cooking, in my opinion. Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because usually I'm not talking about cooking at all. Usually I'm talking about either spirits on one hand or cocktails on the other hand. And so for me, when I think of a spirit, to me, a spirit is almost like a novel from, you know, the golden age of the novel. Like, think of like a... um, And now I'm I'm blanking on the... the, Like a Thomas Hardy novel like Mm. The Return of the Native or Jude the Obscure or something where it's like really compelling characters and it evolves and there's drama and it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. I think of a distilled spirit, especially a barrel-aged spirit, something that has spent time in a warehouse being tended by uh, a blender or a cellar master, uh, being tasted every once in a while. I view that as like a narrative because it almost occurs on a timeline, but when I think think about cocktails they to me they are very much poetic because they they have more in common to me with like stand-up comedy or poetry Mm. or um like Dance or figure skating, something you know very embodied because you're actually you know either shaking or stirring. Um, So to me, the the cocktail is very poetic in its form and very different from um, you know cooking, especially like baking. Right, baking is another one of those things where it seems Mm. very narrative driven. You you combine all the stuff and then you let set it in the oven and you just get to watch it kind of play out. Mm -hmm. But a cocktail's (laughs) not like that. A cocktail's a transaction. A cocktail is an act.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: And, so it di- and it
1: dies uh, unlike a baked good. Well, they die too, but slow, more slowly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The duration is very different.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you can't,
1: you can't just like cut a slice of cocktail. Yeah. And then serve that. Yeah. Yeah. Or make a big vat. I guess that's a different cocktail. That's a punch.
0: It is. Yeah. Or mm. uh, yeah, I, the, that's a really good point because we have so many bars now experimenting with on like. Uh, negronis on draft large format oh, yeah. cocktails mm-hmm. so part of i think the art of that is almost get is is um covering up all the stuff you're not doing mm-hmm. because you're putting it in a draft right so like yeah. um the, the biggest thing that i tell people when uh giving advice on large format cocktails is like yo you gotta water it down like if you're gonna make a negroni one day and then serve it the next day you've got to the 15 to 20 percent dilution factor Mm. in there with it in the fridge so that it when it comes out it's not just like super sweet super boozy oh yeah
1: yeah because it kind of the flavors amplify themselves in strange ways yeah 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 Yeah, it's a very different process and the timeline of it is very different Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. it's a cool cool perspective on drinks and baking
0: <laughs> yeah and I'm actually I'm kind of curious to see how this episode that we're putting together turns out because um you know i, I do want to transition to talk a little bit about some of the barscapes that you've mm-hmm. been putting into <laughs> your your episodes because uh those have been just incredibly delightful and even weirder uh if <laughs> if, if that's possible even weirder so I want to talk about those but but I do think um it'll be really cool to see what you put together because they are cocktail recipes and food recipes just are so different. Um, mm-hmm. do you have, do you have any thoughts about, you know, the way you might handle some drink recipes in your podcast a little bit differently, or has mm-hmm. any of the language in those recipes given you ideas about, um, maybe even like what kind of music to pair it with or soundscapes?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like, cocktails when i use them in in the podcast um they're a punctuation on a particular activity so um in these barscapes that you're talking about i'll just i create like very for the listeners i create like very far out for lack of a better words um narrative or like these sort of like uh, guided it's like a guided meditation but it's a description of a fictional bar and sometimes the experience that you would be having while you're in the bar it's incredibly absurd um very it's as far out there as i can usually get myself to think and um and but at times i sprinkle recipes um fictional or real over the experience um i like to describe the menu the lighting the sounds sweetbreads grilled tossed in olive oil and seared with the cornflake crust served with a shot of aardbag scotch a trim fennel bulb braised in an oxtail demi-glaze served with the citrus fruit leather candied chestnuts and treviso slices peanut butter and clams you know i think it was i don't remember the name of it but i know it's like a peanut orgette with like whiskey and oh yeah um I, i think i've never had that and um but it gives me the ability to play with these types of ideas of some drinking something without having to fully explore it physically and it allows me the leap of faith that I can do that and with that cocktail recipe I was very I had this idea of having like a slurry like a thick almost disgusting slurry of a beverage and that I looked up that recipe and I thought well that may actually be great a great drink and it sounds terribly disgusting at this, or not disgusting that's a little exaggerated but it sounds a little less
0: conventional like drinking a peanutty slurry um wasn't it um maybe a take on like a rum and coke or like a whiskey coke yeah i had another name um but it had the peanut orgeat so yeah yeah I think it's it maybe even a reference to like cuz so like down south boiled is I feel like in Georgia boiled peanuts are a thing. Yeah. I I dated a girl from Georgia and that was like a really weird thing. I never got to try it cuz she dumped me 3 days into a 5-day meet the parents visit, but um <laughs> but uh but yeah, um I'm looking it up it, right now. I th- I think it's like cuz Coke is from Atlanta and then the yeah, boiled the- peanuts maybe. It actually, I
1: believe the Orgette is like a traditionally a French um, almond Mm -hmm. uh, component to the drink. And this cocktail was called a Tallulah. Mm. Um, And I don't know the origins of it. But, you know, as far as like how it works out in the podcast and um, plays out, the cocktail recipe is then read at the end of the podcast. And Mm -hmm. um, it's maybe just to play on this to sort of ground some of these um strange barscapes in some sense of reality and to like kind of play with the fictional and the absurd and mingle it with the very real and functional parts of some of these drinks and beverages but um yeah yeah i think the cocktails um definitely punctuate our experiences out out and what kind of headspace we get into and uh so in that regard i I think the cocktail recipes serve that function like we all have a some sort of understanding of how we feel when we consume our gin tonics or um you know old fashions they're very different kind of feelings when you're out so using them as some sort of evocative experiential references of i think how i tend to view it or It's not always intentional, but there is some sort of intuitive, like, understanding of how I'd feel with that drink.
0: Neil Rinaldo.
1: This bar is a death metal, gridded with vertical steel beams. Mirror-finished metal lines the spaces between. Low ceilings and a cool rose light shines from the recesses. Little rosy lasers create sparkly star patterns on the ceiling and the walls. It's sort of Paw Patrol themed.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And there is like very distinct artistic traditions to me that these barscapes um, make me think of so first, uh, I think of Martianism, right, mm-hmm. which is this weird poetic movement in like the mid to late twentieth century, where you have um these poets actually kind of like writing as if you know, viewing the world for the first time. Mm-hmm. um <laughs> sometimes when I think of your barscapes, I think of like... Imagine if somebody way slowed down and then narrated like the cantina scene from Star (laughs) Wars. Yeah, yeah. It's like it could have some similarities there. Yeah, Uh, for sure. And it also bears a lot of resemblance to some of the French surrealists. Mm -hmm. And this also ties back heavily to... Drink, interestingly enough, these Mm. were the poets who were writing at the time when absinthe was at its height in absinthe culture in France and in uh, French-inspired cities like New Orleans in the United States. These poets like uh, Baudelaire and Rambeau were writing these incredibly trippy poems, Mm. like, Mm -hmm. like, like acid, functionally like reading someone's acid trip or someone's, you know, drunken night on absinthe. Um, And Interestingly enough, one of the big influences of the French Surrealist movement was Edgar Allan Poe, who this ties back to your time spent in Baltimore yeah. mm-hmm. uh, at uh, at the the art school there, and then also um, his favorite drink was uh, peach brandy, and he died supposedly drunkenly in a puddle. Edgar Allan Poe is like a huge drinker, so mm-hmm. so I love that the. The feeling that these barscapes give me is very much in line with that tradition that I can cut straight through the 20th century all the way back to Edgar Allan Poe and and even beyond. Suppose I suppose. Um, so I really like them and I do appreciate in hindsight now. Like a, just a, talking through that Tallulah cocktail with you, I was like, "Damn, yeah, that is punctuation." Oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad that yeah. it feels
1: that way. Yeah, I mean it. It it's. A lot of this is also chance and and, um, it's not like I have no goal in this. And I think as as a sculptor, putting things together and taking them away is how I approach all of these mediums. So um, that's very much how this is put together. And um, I'm I'm glad that this also resonates with you, because like other forms of art, there's you know, that there doesn't always resonate with the, the viewer. I Mm mean, I'll be interested to see how your listeners feel about it. It's, it could be divisive. Like it's not, (laughs) it's a, it's a very, I'm very like happy to talk about it and it's cool that you're um, putting it out there. Uh, So I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Uh, I I fully expect it to be divisive. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't really care if some of my listeners don't like it. I, I hope I, I I know they won't. And I, and I, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, I think I'm so jazzed about it because for me, it was a stretching experience that turned mm. into mm-hmm. a comfort experience. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the best case scenario. I think, um,
1: being able just, if not to love it, to just stretch, uh, in some way, if it pushes you into a different space, it's only 20 minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. we consume so much. It's, uh, I mean, this is not like a, some plug. <laughs> oh, it's only 20 minutes. You should try it <laughs> I just mean like, it's, it's, a uh, it's nice to be pushed out of our space sometimes. And that, that for me is partially why
0: I got into doing it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, just, uh, this is, I think a, a really cool place to, um, just kind of I'll do a a quick summary for people and then jump into the lightning round. So Mm -hmm. uh, for, for context uh, I did a couple of episodes um, in what I'm calling the art of the recipe series. Um, The first Mm. episode we went into kind of the deep past. We talked about the origins of recipes, um, you know, on the African savannas and on clay tablets in Babylon and then in, in Rome. And then in the next installment, we kind of talked about the modern recipe, how, You know, the recipe was modernized, how it went from the kitchens of kings and queens and nobility down into the kitchens of everyday people and Mm -hmm. into this strange space called the restaurant. Um, And then, you know, I kind of took that episode right up through the present day with uh, certain phenomena on uh, like the cooking network or the food, the food network or the cooking channel where now we have these shows that are ostensibly about food and recipes. But for some reason we have the need for these highly staged narratives around them. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I talked about the, uh, the pioneer woman show where it's like, all right. Well, every recipe has to have some sort of justification because this person's dropping by. It's almost like Mr. Rogers neighborhood. It gets mixed with uh, a food show because the special guest somehow dictates what we're making today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all fake. Yeah. So it's uh, talking about like the idea of narrative in in food and and recipes. So that that's kind of where we stand. And um, the way I'd like for this interview and then hopefully our little crossover episode to work is kind of. It's not the craft. This is now we're talking about kind of like the recipe as a a piece of culture or a piece of cultural art in Mm, in our time mm -hmm. space. So that's been the shape of this series. So if anyone's listening to this episode and is like, what the hell does this have to do with cocktails? Like, well, go and check out (laughs) the other episodes in this series. It'll make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully if all goes well, we'll be able to, uh, to do a bonus episode and, um, send some of our listeners over to, to your feed for, for a little bit of, uh, extra helpings of the earth. No <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm, I'm excited to be turned on to all those, uh, podcasts you're putting out.
0: Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share with folks about the podcast uh, before we jump into lightning round? But is there anything else that you think people should know or maybe um, advice for for how to listen to your podcast?
1: No, I, I think headphones are probably the best bet. Um, <laughs> other than that, uh, headphones are a car. I think the audio um, quality is important because uh, it, at times it's It's just very calculated um, and a lot can be lost if you're just listening like through a small speaker or computer speaker. But um, no, I mean, you've dug into it quite nicely. um, It's nice to talk about this stuff. I don't typically talk about it. I just do it, which is, you know, it's nice to be kind of digging into the other side of it and how it's perceived. And um, no, I think uh, I think we've said I think, uh, yeah, people should just try one. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. mean, it's probably the most abstract thing to listen to if you haven't heard this podcast, <laughs> yeah,
0: but you know what? It's it's abstract, but it's delicious. You know, it's uh I what I what I'd actually recommend to me, actually, and this this is actually very, very concrete. If anyone has who loves Negronis ever tried their first Negroni and was like, hmm, not for me. Uh, I think this is kind of a similar experience uh, hmm. because you know once you get bit by that bug, you know you, you'll you'll get it, you'll get bit by the bug, and you might not go back and <laughs> listen to another episode immediately, but you're gonna get curious. You're not gonna delete it from your feed. You're like, all no, right, I'm not deleting it yet. But yeah, to me, it's like it's like your first Negroni. That's that's the way I'll describe oh, it in cocktail great. terms. That's a great description. So you Perfect. ready for some lightning round questions? Sure. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something that you've been more recently obsessed with?
1: Um, uh, my standout, maybe not favorite, but a standout cocktail is a Smoky Boulevardier. It uh, was the first drink I had at that bar that I worked at in Germany, the Red Bar. Um, and I think because it had a punctuation on everything I had like learned and experienced, that it became like a one that comes to mind very quickly. Uh, and I don't actually know the ingredients, but I think it's just a swapping of like a smoky scotch for a, a whiskey or a
0: bourbon of some sort. For sure. Yeah, you could do that with uh, like a nice high, like a like a Highland Park scotch or um, even like a Del Maguey Vita mm. Mezcal mm-hmm. would be a nice way to get some smoke mm. in there for sure. Mm. Yeah, I've actually I've I had uh, something similar this weekend, so I can oh, get behind wow. the smoky. The smoky yeah. is, uh, is good. Yeah, definitely. Now, how about cocktail ingredients? If you were a cocktail ingredient, like a single thing that could be used across many different recipes or a few, uh what would you be and why? Um uh I like this question. I chose
1: uh, a solid ice cube. Uh I think that's kind of my favorite ingredient because it uh can be it's like a mixer, it's like a blender.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of helps the drink coalesce. Yeah, and especially in the case of things like like a uh, a good Negroni on the rocks or an Old Fashioned, uh it does allow the drink to continue to evolve and yeah. uh and it does it lengthens that experience too, um mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Yeah, and you yeah. can use it, you know, like you said to
1: start the drink like cooler or you can like mix it a little longer to make it a little more incorporate a little more water. It's also one that like you can't live without, like There's no real replacement. (laughs) If you need that solid piece of ice, it's kind of crucial. I've spent many, many pre-dinner parties trying to source a good ice and, you know, sometimes to no avail.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. Yeah. One of the things that, that absolutely kills me is that I don't have very much freezer space, so I can't like get like a playmate cooler and stick it in there and get like a nice clear block of ice that Uh, I can carve up. Um, it is, it is a chest freezer is very much aspirational, but, um, (laughs) uh, in, in city living, you don't always get one of those. So
1: you'll have to make a chest freezer bed combination.
0: So you can just (laughs) like, like a captain's chest freezer that pulls out under the bed (laughs) from under your bed. Yeah. Uh, I like this. I'm going to see if I can sell my wife on it after we get off this. All right. Um, here's the Widowmaker question cocktail with anyone past or present. Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of, I suppose, in the style of Earth No Patio, but maybe less abstract. Paint us a picture. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I chose. I think maybe it's a little obvious, but John Cage. I'd probably have a drink with John Cage. I don't even know if he drank, but I'd like to drink with the older John Cage. Um, I chose gin tonics maybe in like the afternoon. Um, I like a small apartment in the Bay Area. I don't know that he lived there. I think he did. I'm kind of like a lazy fan.
0: Um, (laughs) I like a lot of his stuff, but not all of it. Um, And this is the gentleman whose journals you were listening to on your walks to Bar Agricole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean... An amazing thinker and he's is amazingly poetic so i think having a conversation with him would be awesome and you know he had hung out with duchamp and um these are kind of like some of the more flippant artists uh of our time which i really appreciate so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but an old john cage i think that would be fun
0: nice and i'd be drinking
1: Uh, a gin tonic i don't know what he would be drinking
0: yeah oh interesting yeah i and i like um i like that flip i like the use of flippant uh yeah because i think cocktail yeah like i feel like flippancy has its place in the cocktail space Mm -hmm. yeah and uh if, if you do choose to include any of the um the parody cocktail menu stuff that I sent along there. There was definitely some flippancy in, uh, in quite a few of those oh, yeah. Uh, formulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. John Cage, I'll, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll link to him and some of his work over on the show notes page over at modernbarkart.com forward slash podcast for any of our listeners who, uh, who might be interested in checking him and his work out Great. a little bit more. So what's a common or traditional cocktail ingredient that you've never tasted and why? Uh, that uh, yeah
1: i don't i couldn't think of anything it's not like uh, pretension i do try to taste anything i can taste so mm-hmm. um
0: uh, yeah i can't think of anything um, is there is there anything weird that you've tasted so like that's a that's a that's mm. a very specific mindset right it's yeah. not for everybody have you ever have you ever been like all right sure i'll try it and then gotten some some real weird feedback from your taste buds yeah um
1: i mean there's some things they don't seem so bizarre now but in at the time like my the first time i had natto i thought oh this is psycho but i i really enjoy it now so it's almost a, not a staple but i really enjoy it um and what to, is natto is that oh, the um, a, is that the fish no that's just for it's like fermented soybeans uh like oh, japanese okay. and then they're like really really sticky and stringy um, i gotcha Trying to think if there's anything else that I've thought, like, whoa, crazy. No, I, I, maybe that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It was like mm. served with like quail egg and. Ooh. Yeah. It was yeah, interesting. It was, I mean, at the time it was surprising, but it, it's very comforting now. I, I appreciate it. But like, mm. kind of like all good flavors, it has like a lot of depth and you learn to like really appreciate that depth over time
0: yeah i was actually just listening to a podcast um i don't know if you listen to cooking issues with dave arnold um Mm it's very it's a very different type of podcast than yours perhaps maybe the diametric opposite yeah i i listen to all sorts of (laughs) different things uh, but he just did an interview with a couple of guys who wrote a book on koji, the um, the mold that oh, is used yeah. in, in certain ferments and uh, 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 very often with soy or soybean products. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the. I feel like the fermented space is actually something that's going to be coming more and more into the cocktail fold, oh, and yeah. it, it just it. But it is very foreign to a lot of american palates Um, yeah so it doesn't surprise me that that soybean the fermented soybeans was like one of the things that kind of made you stop and go whoa
1: yeah yeah uh the it's cool to think of more of the fermented stuff getting into the cocktails it's Mm -hmm. kind of
0: got that like savory quality to it that i don't always experience absolutely yeah um so kind of along those same lines, uh, do you have any unusual or controversial views or beliefs in... We, we can even make it a little bit more general than spirits and cocktails. Maybe we'll call it this: the cocktail or food or recipe world. Anything that kind of touches what we've been talking about. Any unusual or controversial views that you hold?
1: Mm, yeah, I, I don't think it's maybe so controversial. I, I think... Um, I'm not as big of a fan of the celebrity chef. Uh I think that all too often happens where we sort of fetishize one restaurant or one type of flavor and um I mean obviously people do a great job and we should, you know, uh seek it out, but I think that's something that just irks me a little bit. Um but um no, I think otherwise I'm always a I always appreciate experiencing how people do things differently. So uh, I'm pretty open when it comes to like how food is produced and perceived. Um, Yeah, but no, no, no real controversy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from on the celebrity chef side of things. And I think it'll be really interesting to see. What ends up happening when the bar and restaurant industry gets to reopen again, because, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. celebrity will only take you so far Mm, and mm -hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see if we get more or less of that, because I could see a possible case for, for both or either, you know, it could be that like the only places that we have left are the ones that have somebody with a big name attached to it. Or it could be that maybe we get a bit of a cleanse from that sort of thing. And we get to experience a little bit of new growth, which I think would be kind of exciting in the wake of all that's happened. It would be a, a good way to get people excited about, um, going out to eat and trying new dishes again, I think
1: yeah yeah and i think that i you know the idea of the neighborhood restaurant or neighborhood bar is something that we start to lose as a result of this sort of celebrity status and it would be cool if there was sort of a return or a flip
0: but totally yeah
1: yeah Yeah, i i mean new growth would be great after this it would be cool to have a lot of strange things pop up
0: Yeah, yeah i think
1: that has a lot to mostly if we could just change the regulatory process because i think that's what prohibits a lot of um uh, like smaller businesses from and especially in the food industry because food regulations are so strict it prohibits a lot of people from trying their hand at it um and if i I mean i don't see this happening in the u.s but if we could you know change those then a lot more people would be opening restaurants no matter how how big or small um and that would be awesome
0: yeah yeah and well i think and this is something that occurred to me when you when you said like uh like like popping up right um Mm. i I have a feeling we're gonna see a lot of pop-ups in the next six to ten months and i think yeah that's true A cool thing about that might be, right, people are going to be a little bit skeptical of going to a crowded place. So maybe a Mm pop-up that does a good job figuring out spacing between guests could be successful. And then I I feel like, especially with pop-ups, one of the nice things is that uh, bars and restaurants that do that don't necessarily have the burden of a lease. And right now, like Landlord Relations is – A big thing because landlords need to, you know, go to the grocery store and put food on the table, too. So they need to kind of collect rent, even though there's a lot of rent relaxations going on. But the cool thing about pop ups and, you know, I've been thinking a lot uh, about like how to support the industry recently. I think a cool way to support the industry when people start opening back up would be to. Do a deep dive on the pop-ups that are opening up because there's going to be a lot of vacant space. And I don't think that a lot of that vacant space is just going to automatically have somebody that's signing a 10-year lease on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Find find pop-ups. I'm in D.C. You're in L.A. We're going to have some cool pop-ups to attend. And I think that might be one of the first and, to be honest, like coolest ways to vote with your wallet and with your Mm, feet. mm -hmm to get to have some say in what your, um, bar and restaurant scene looks like at, at the other side of this.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think, um, that's already happening to, to some degree. I feel like I've, uh, had friends that are cooking out of their house and kind of providing meals for people as a, another form of income. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, if it can continue to grow, that would
0: be amazing for sure. Well, Ben, this has been amazing. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to talk through this. Yeah. Can you just give our listeners, um, the various ways to find your podcast, uh, and then, uh, just any way to, um, connect with you and, or and view your, the other art that you create. We didn't get to talk a lot about that, but you have some really cool stuff on display. Oh, thank you. Um,
1: yeah, uh, you can find the podcast at earthnopatio.com patio.com or any podcast app. Uh, just look for Earthnopatio, patio. I think all separate words. And then, um, you can follow me on Instagram, Benjamin L. Turner with threes instead of E's. Um, and then uh, producer at Earth No Patio for emailing queries. But mm-hmm. yeah, this has been great. Uh, thanks
0: for having me. Yeah. Um, so for folks listening, keep your eye out for maybe a little possible collaboration. And uh, please, uh, if you're in the mood for a little change of pace, uh, go ahead and check out Earth No Patio. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts. They can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, recipe and poetic soundscape insights by Ben Turner, creator of the podcast Earth No Patio, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.